Welcome and thank you for listening to Muskegon History and Beyond with the Lakeshore Museum Center. My name is Pat Horn. Today's episode is titled Newcomb McGrath, A Self-Made Man. Newcomb Farwell McGrath was born in Lockport, New York in 1840. Lockport is a town along the Erie Canal that was built to house workers during the canal's construction. It was settled by Scottish and Irish workers, of which the McGrath family was one. The name Lockport came from the series of five step locks at that location. When he was three years old, McGrath's father passed away, and at a young age, Newcomb became a caretaker for his family. His father had left little behind for him, and thus going forward, it was up to McGrath to make his own way in the world. He started working for a man in town and eventually followed him and the work to Michigan, where the lumber industry was nearing the boom stage. He began working on the lumber drive on the Flint River for the Brown Nestor Little Hoyt and Company firm. During the drive, men had to ride logs downriver to break up log jams and continue the steady flow of logs. This position was always a dangerous one, but McGrath was successful at it. After several years of work, McGrath was promoted until he became in charge of a section of the drive with a hundred men working under him. Unlike many other lumbermen, McGrath received a college education, attending Albion College from 1856 to 1857. In 1868, he married Caroline Dayton of Flint, Michigan. Caroline was six years younger than Newcomb, and her family were farmers, but also owned a hotel in Flint. By 1870, they were living in Saginaw, Michigan, and were doing quite well. According to the 1870 census, Newcomb McGrath had $8,000 in real estate and a personal wealth of $1,200, while his wife had a value in real estate worth $1,400. In 1871, McGrath received an offer from Thomas Palmer and Charles Merrill to run their lumbering interest in Muskegon. Depending on when he left, McGrath left behind his pregnant wife or newly born daughter on this new venture across the state because on November 24th, Caroline gave birth to their first child, Edith. This would later be followed by the birth of their son, Ray, in 1879. On a side note, Thomas Palmer would go on to be quite famous on the east side of the state as a U.S. senator who fought for suffrage, was one of the founders of the Detroit Institute of Arts, and also for donating a large area of land in Detroit, which is today called Palmer Park. McGrath worked for Palmer until 1873 when he formed a partnership with A.S. Montgomery and McGrath became the operator of their mill. The pair would in 1875 purchase the mill of George Rudderman and between the two mills cut between 12 to 15 million board feet a year. In 1882, he formed the McGrath Lumbering Company with Thomas Palmer as a co-partner. This company owned a circular saw, a single mill, and a planning mill, making it a very agile business and successful over the years. In 1880, McGrath was elected to be president of the Muskegon Booming Company, a job which he continued until 1883. It was around this time that many interesting developments occurred in Muskegon, the major one being the 10 hours or no sawdust strike which began in 1881 and continued into the 1882 lumbering season. McGrath, as a mill owner and head of the Booming Company, was center stage for a lot of the strike. I'll briefly mention McGrath's role, but if you'd like to learn more about the strike, listen to our previous episode on this called 10 Hours or No Sawdust. The strike began in 1881 with booming ground workers striking for a pay raise and full pay on days when the weather caused them delays or cancellations. After a short strike, McGrath and the board accepted these terms as the logs had to be moved for any of the lumber barons to get the wood cut and get their profits. However, this early victory emboldened the workers to ask for 10-hour workdays, and a larger strike began in earnest. 
It continued into 1882 and almost came to a tipping point when two striking workers entered McGrath's mill. McGrath, never one to be trifled with, accosted the men and asked them to leave. A fight then broke out between McGrath and one of the workers, which resulted in a tumble down the stairs, wood being thrown, and finally McGrath drawing a gun and firing a shot. This incident caused the striking workers to make and hang an effigy of McGrath in front of his boarding house. There's also pressure for him to resign from the booming company, which he offered, but the board refused as they didn't want to give in to the workers anymore. While McGrath got the booming company over difficult times, he would resign from his position in 1883. He continued on in the lumbering business, but also became more engaged in politics. In 1890, he proposed to then-Mayor Martin Walks to donate a large area of land, about 65 acres, that he owned in the lakeside area for a public park as long as the city promised to make it free and protect it. This offer was declined, but McGrath still liked the idea of a public park. Then in 1893, McGrath was elected mayor of the city of Muskegon and brought the idea before the city council, except this time there was a little twist. At this time, it was accepted that lumbering was coming to an end and something had to be done to restore vitality to the city and bring in jobs and new industries. So McGrath and others came up with a plan. McGrath's chunk of land would be sold to the city for the price of $100,000 paid by a bond. The city would get ownership of said land to create a park as long as they spent $5,000 on improving it in the next 10 years. McGrath would entrust Charles Hackley with the $100,000 to give it to the newly created Chamber of Commerce to create an industrial bonus fund whose purpose was to entice companies to locate to Muskegon using tax breaks, investment money, securing land for their businesses, and cash bonuses for employing so many workers for a period of time. Heading this Chamber of Commerce was John Torrent, Charles Ackley, and of course, Newcomb McGrath. While this whole process makes your head hurt trying to think about how it all worked, and if it's legally or morally correct, the end result turned out to be pretty successful. Companies such as the Amazon Knitting Company, Continental Motors, and Brunswick, among others, took Muskegon up on their industrial bonus offers. Without this economic stimulus, Muskegon might very well have become another lumbering ghost town. It's hard to estimate the value and impact this idea brought to Muskegon, but it certainly was great and propelled Muskegon ahead for the next few decades. On top of the industrial fund, this offer also allowed the city to have a nice park in the lakeside area. However, that story is almost more interesting than the industrial fund. McGrath Park, which today is what Newcomb McGrath is best remembered for, sits next to Rudiman Creek. In order to secure the land, the city had to spend $5,000 to improve it over a period of 10 years. The first year of its ownership, Mayor McGrath set aside $1,000 to improve the park, meaning just $4,000 need to be spent in the next nine years. While the scene's obtainable, it hardly was a top priority for the city, and the property went unimproved. At the time, the city was having budget difficulties, and many of the aldermen wanted nothing to do with the land. One alderman, Alderman Frank, said of it, and potentially setting aside money in the budget for it, quote, I for one wish it would go back to Mr. McGrath. If we have money to spend, the place to spend it on is the streets. I am not in favor of putting one dollar in that park. McGrath responded to this comment saying it would be quite the personal gain for him to get it back, but he saw better times ahead for the city and saw the need in the future for such a space. Discussion was tabled for the moment. And more or less, it didn't leave that table until 1907. In 1907, the city council brought forward a resolution that it be given back to the family so it could be taxed again, as it had been in limbo since the lapse of contract in 1903, the end of the 10-year period originally laid out. 
However, technically, since they hadn't spent the full $5,000 by 1903 to improve it, the land didn't belong to the city. At the same time, another council member asked for permission to negotiate with the family to reinstate the deed to the city and to give it 10 more years to complete the $4,000 left for upgrades. The pitch was successful, and Mrs. McGrath, wanting to see her husband's wishes accomplished, agreed to a new 10-year extension. By 1917, 10 years after the renewal, $1,500 still needed to be spent on improvements, and money was put in the 1917 budget for it. However, the 10-year extension ended 17 days after the 1917 budget year began, giving the city 17 days to spend $1,500 on improvements, or ask Miss McGrath for another extension. Miss McGrath, who already wasn't the biggest fan of the delays, would give them the 1917 fiscal year to complete the project. In 1917, the park would be finally finished and open with large picnics in honor of its donor and plans to improve it even more. Today, McGrath Park stands out as a legacy of its donor and his deeds to the city. While the park and industrial funds stand out, McGrath was also involved in various other operations in Muskegon. He helped secure the Grand Rapids and Indiana Railroad to come to Muskegon, as well as the Toledo, Saginaw, and Muskegon Rail Line. He was vice president of the Muskegon Valley Furniture and Muskegon Flouring Mill, he was president of the Muskegon Temperance Library Association and held stock in several banks. He also became part owner of the Muskegon Opera House and passed on the management of it to his son, Ray. In 1904, Ray died from tuberculosis at the age of 25. The death hit McGrath hard and he never fully recovered from it. By this time, Nuka McGrath had been suffering from complications of what was called at the time Bright's disease, a term used to describe many different types of kidney problems. In McGrath's case, it led to problems with his heart as a complication. On November 6, 1904, at around 12.45 p.m., Nuka McGrath died at home. He was survived by his wife, Carolyn, and their daughter, Edith. After his funeral, he was buried in Evergreen Cemetery alongside his son in the family vault. Nuka McGrath had gone from a near-penniless boy working to support his family to become one of the richest and most successful men in Muskegon. With his wealth and political power, he strove to improve Muskegon and make it a place for future generations to work and play. I'd like to thank you for listening to Muskegon History and Beyond, and I would encourage you to head to McGrath Park this summer and enjoy a nice picnic and stroll as Nuka McGrath would have wished. Mm-hmm.